I've listened to America by 30 Seconds to Mars since it came out in 2018. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Everybody and welcome back to Spin It, the record ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James. With me is Connor. Feels weird knowing people listen to this podcast. I told you people have been listening. It's a it's a phenomenon that's sweeping the nation. Uh, I don't know if we should go that far. <laughs> Internation. It's it's international. Yeah, I got the chance to talk to a couple people who listen to it, and now I feel pressure. Don't feel pressure. It's the same podcast as always. I don't mean to burst your bubble here. People have been listening since episode zero, so it's the same thing. Yeah, I'll just forget they exist. Okay, you heard it here first, audience. (laughs) Connor has forgotten you exist. Wait, we have an audience? No, there's no audience. (laughs) Forget I said anything. This week, we're talking about 30 Seconds to Mars and their most recent record, America. You may be thinking, that's a weird 30 Seconds to Mars record to pick. And you're probably right. It's because James hates it. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. And we're going to find out more about it in a bit. But 33 episodes in, I wanted to mix it up and, you know, do an album maybe towards the lower end of the list. Because he hates it. Let me just, I want to, you know, preface the whole episode by saying I like 30 Seconds to Mars a lot. I'm a big fan of a lot of their earlier singles. This album. But not this album. I don't want to get into it too much because that's what the whole podcast is about. Spoiler alert for the rest of the episode. He hates it. That's not true. That is untrue. Calling me a liar? Yeah. Supposed to say I'm not calling you a truther. I know what you want me to say. That doesn't mean that's what I'm supposed to say. You calling me a (laughs) mixtaper? 30 Seconds to Mars is a Los Angeles based alt, I guess alt pop now band. They formed in 1998 and uh, they even, you know, sing a lot of songs about being from Los Angeles like... City of Angels from their Love, Lust, Faith, and Dreams album. So you probably could guess based on their sound and some of their lyrics that that might be where they're from. The band is currently made up of Jared Leto, who sings, plays the guitar, the bass, and the keyboards. Yes, that Jared Leto. Yeah, that Jared Leto. You know, the Joker. Is that really what, like that, like the only thing you know him from? No, I He's also... had way more popular and well-received roles than the Joker. Yeah, I know. No, I, I first knew Jared Leto as an actor from Requiem for a Dream, uh, a role that he absolutely crushes. I mean, don't watch that movie unless you're ready to watch that movie. But Jared Leto is a phenomenal actor in that one. He's a good actor in The Joker, in the in the Suicide Squad, but the role is the problem. The role was meh. Right. Anyway, Jared Leto is the frontman of the band, and his brother, Shannon, is the drummer and the percussionist. That's it for now. But past members include Tomo... Okay, listen. I'm going to botch this last name. I looked everywhere for an interview for a video where someone said his last name so I could hear it pronounced... Nobody says it. They just call him Tomo, but he's Croatian. Tomo Milicevic is the closest that I could get. But he was the lead guitarist from 2003 to 2018, and that includes the recording of America. He's a very critically acclaimed Croatian-American producer, a great musician, and he was really a key piece of the band for that stretch of their career. Past members also include Matt Watcher, who played bass and keyboards and sang from 2001 to 2007 for some of their bigger records, like A Beautiful Lie. And then Solon Bixler, who played guitar and sang from 2001 to 2003. So that's 30 Seconds to Mars. Currently, it's just a a band of two brothers. Have you heard of 30 Seconds to Mars, by the way? Do you know any Mm -hmm. older singles and stuff? What do you know? Couldn't tell you. Oh, (laughs) you just heard of them. I've heard of them. And I know I've heard some of their songs. And in fact, there's at least one song in here I'm fairly certain I've heard on this album. But they're not a band I've really followed, so I can tell you any of their songs. Yeah, I discovered 30 Seconds to Mars sometime in like the middle of high school. And I started listening to them through singles. Yeah, that's probably about when I discovered them. I bet I beat you to it. I'm sure you did. Just stake my claim there, just in case. As far as accolades go, they've sold more than 15 million albums worldwide. Their first big hit was The Kill, one of my favorites of their earlier songs, and their music video for that picked up two nominations for MTV Music Awards. Since then, they've really been on the up and up, winning 82 awards around the world on more than 170 nominations. They've got six Kerrang! Awards, 
Three of them were for Best International Band in 2008 and 10 and 11. They've got nine MTV Europe Awards and six nominations for Billboard Music Awards. And they won Modern Rock Artist of the Year in 2007. And uh, it's another one of my little mini-games on the podcast. 30 Seconds to Mars, like a few other artists that we've covered, holds a Guinness World Record. Want to take a guess? Um, I have two guesses. Okay, two guesses. Yeah, one of them Wonderful. would be something one of your regarding... Guesses, hold on, hold on, hold on. Well, one of your guesses better not be fastest time to get to Mars. All right, I got one guess. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I still have two guesses. Good, because that's not a Guinness World Record. That's a Guinness Mars Record. Boo. Anyway, two guesses. Okay, okay. Uh, I'm going to guess... My first guess is going to be for their music videos. Like It's going to be a music video-related world record. Ooh, okay. And then my other one would be for their live performances. It would be a live performance-related world record. Uh, okay, can you be more specific? Um, Either, like, most number of back-to-back performances or, like, longest performance. Like that. It seems like they'd be, like, the kind of person to do something like that. Mm, okay, interesting. You're pretty close. Their Guinness World Record is for the most live shows performed during an album cycle. They earned it in 2011 as a result of their Into the Wild tour, which was the band's second worldwide tour in support of This Is War. They played 300 live shows, and they were actually really ahead of their time, too. Their 300th show was live-streamed around the world. Mm. So that is 30 Seconds to Mars' Guinness World Record. Another fun little trivia tidbit, fun for us, not fun for the band, is that they got into a really weird legal battle with their record label. They were initially signed for a five-record contract, but they tried to get out of it after only two albums because more than seven years had passed, and there was this California law that provided a loophole that said you couldn't be in a contract for more than seven years, even though the contract was for more than that even when they signed it. So it was a whole big mess. They got sued for a lot of money, and, you know, it was a tug-of-war. And that really affected the production of their next album, which was Love, Lust, Faith, and Dreams at the time. But anyway, that's my little trivia tidbit. They, you know, sued the record label. This week, we're talking about America. If you haven't heard it and you want the context for everything, you know what to do. America came out, America the album, not the country. America the country came out in 1776. America the album didn't get here till April 2018. Boo. It's different for a 30 Seconds to Mars album. If for some reason you're familiar with 30 Seconds to Mars and not yet familiar with America, temper your expectations, I guess. It's kind of this deeply ambient power alt pop. Like, take all the qualities that Love, Lust, Faith, and Dreams has that set it apart from their earlier albums and then crank all of those elements up to 11, and mostly lose a lot of the other stuff. Good or bad, you be the judge. It's just different. It's only the band's fifth studio album, and to date, it is still their most recent. As of yet, they've announced no concrete plans for their next record, but Jared Leto said that there are over 200 tracks that he's written for the next album. (laughs) We'll see how many make the cut, but 200 in the wings is, is a lot of music. America debuted at number two on the Billboard 200, even though it kind of was a mixed bag of critical reviews. And that actually makes it 30 Seconds to Mars' highest charting album, which is interesting because when I say mixed reviews, I mean its Metacritic score is a 47 out of 100, and then Kerrang!, who gave the band, remember I said they've won like six Kerrang! awards? They only gave it two out of five stars, and so did the UK's Q. All kinds of other periodicals and publications would give it 8 out of 10, sometimes 9 out of 10, but it was really just a mixed bag. Everyone who listens to this record kind of seems to have a different take on it, whether it does too much or not enough, whether they've made musical changes that have been beneficial or that have really strayed too far away from their core sound. I have to wonder why, if that's got to do with the album's content. I think some of it has to do with the album's content. Yeah, it feels a little bit... uh, I mean, to say the least, it feels a little bit alienating Mm -hmm. to some people. I feel like if you listen to this album and you go, oh, this is great, then you'll love it. And if you listen to this album and you go, like, what the heck? You'll kind of just stay away from it. To sum up what James just said, you're either going to listen to it and like it or hate it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's that's pretty much my take on this record. You know, normally I'll listen to, I'll, I'll put a record on this podcast and I'll say, this is a good record objectively and this is one you should know and maybe you should like it. This is more of one that I say, listen to it and decide for yourself. 
Listen to it and hate it if you have to. I understand, you know. Because you do. I don't. I don't. Everybody in the comments on YouTube and on social media, hashtag James hates America in the <laughs> chat. No, that's awful. I guess I didn't think this through. Don't do that. Before I let things get any more out of hand, I guess we should flip the switch to factor spin. Hey, it's me, the mixtaper, and James hates America. No, that's not chat. that's not true, Mixie, and you know it. Shout out to my best friend. Do you know who you are? Gosh. Okay. Anyway, uh, how you doing? Well, pretty good. I found out I have fans. I'll tune in just to listen to me lie to you. No, I don't think that's it, but Nope, that's what I choose to believe. <laughs> Choose to believe whatever you want. It's a fact in my head. That sounds problematic. I've spun that fact for myself, and I'm choosing to believe it. Yeah, that can't go wrong at all. But speaking of spinning facts, I'm a little bit nervous for this week because... Yeah, how much do you know about Jared Leto in 30 Seconds to Mars? I don't think it matters how much I know about Jared Leto in 30 Seconds to Mars (laughs) because there's always going to be more. Jared, I mean, Jared Leto is a guy that's had a really successful music career and a really successful acting career. And some other really successful or moderately successful careers that we'll get into. Okay, shall we begin there? We shall begin with my first fact. His favorite food is cotton candy flavored grapes. Okay, so I thought, you know, with that lead in, you're like, yes, and we'll talk about all his other careers. You were going to like start with a fact about. Oh, but we have. (laughs) Oh, okay. So Jared Leto's third career is grapes. In a way. I've heard about the cotton candy flavored grape. Yeah. Is it actually flavored like cotton candy or is it just called a cotton candy grape because it's so sweet? Nope. Flavored like cotton candy? No artificial flavors either. Naturally flavored like cotton candy and artificial flavor to begin with. Right. (laughs) So then maybe cotton candy is grape flavored and we've just never realized it. Yeah, I think that's what we've learned. Jared Leto's career is grapes. That would lead me to believe he has some kind of stake in a vineyard, maybe? Uh... In a way. What way is that? He funds the research of the people who created this grape in the attempt to create other unique flavored grapes. Jared Leto funds grapes? (laughs) Yep. I love this fact. So you say he did fund the development of the cotton candy grape? No, he did not. Okay. He just likes them the best. He likes them, and because he liked them, chose to invest in, you know, their research. Amazing. So what other grapes does he have in the works? Like, what can I expect in in the grape world i have no idea oh top secret how much money does he spend on grapes like grape research no idea no idea probably a decent amount i mean usually if you're donating to research it's no small chunk of change right do you think he'll whine if he doesn't get his investment back Boo. i'm just saying <laughs> it's your third bad joke of the episode only three? Oh, i'm <laughs> flattered yeah, okay, I, I think this is fake, but I like it, so I'm going to take the bait and say true. This is a fact. You took the bait like Jared Leto didn't take the cotton candy flavored grapes, because this is a spin. Dang it. Oh, no, that's a sour grape of a fact. All right, just add into that bad joke total. <laughs> that wasn't even really a joke. That was just me saying sour grape. That was a comparison. Yeah. I recently learned about the cotton candy flavored grape and felt the need to talk about it. And talk about it you did. <laughs> Dang it. Hey, Jared Leto, I have an investment opportunity for you. I don't <laughs> I don't have the opportunity. I just have a recommendation. Again, I will give you the point back if he invests in the cotton candy flavored grape business. That's awesome. I'm going to try and make it happen. I tried and tried. I cannot get Rascal Flats to reunite and rewrite Romeo and Juliet. It's just not going to happen, and I'm so sorry. <laughs> Apologize to yourself. You're the one missing out on the point because of your lack of commitment. Uh, you know, I can miss a point here and there because my lead is so insurmountable. Well, listen, we don't need to talk about the lead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's Jared Leto's other career is spending money on grapes. We didn't even talk about that. But it's not. Right. But, like, how is that? But his real other career... Okay, yeah, what's Jared Leto's actual third uh, passion? As a Danish albino filmmaker named Bartholomew Cubbins who sells rocket toys. So I'm sorry, let's rewind a little bit. So <laughs> you're saying that Jared Leto's real-life secret identity is is what? A, a Danish toy salesman? A Danish albino filmmaker named Bartholomew Cubbins who sells rocket toys. Okay, so step one. This isn't like a role that he played <laughs> in a movie, right? Or a TV series? No. This is a thing that he actually does in his real life. Yep. I- I'm literally going to go down adjective by adjective. First of all, Jared Leto's not albino. 
Nor Danish. You skipped that one. I was getting there. We're starting, you know, one at a time. Well, Danish was the first one, so you went out of order. Okay, so Jared Leto is not Danish. Correct. Why does he pretend to be? As part of his pseudonym, Bartholomew Cubbins. But why did he pick a Danish person to be his pseudonym, like his alter ego? Why didn't he pick an American, which he is? He doesn't want to trace back to him. That's the whole point of a pseudonym. Are we going to get in trouble for this, for tracing this back to him? Uh, listen, the Spinet Mystery Department stumbled across this while working on the carrots. And... Oh my gosh. So why on earth does Jared Leto need an alter ego? For his moonlighting career as a filmmaker and toy salesman. So he like actually does those things. Yeah. But why doesn't he do them as himself? Because he wants a pseudonym so people don't know it's Jared Leto doing it. Why does anybody use a pseudonym? Okay, but why doesn't he want people to know he sells rocket toys? Maybe because he wants it to stand on its own and not have his name attached to it. Does he sell rocket toys in Denmark? Is that why he's Danish? <laughs> What's happening? Where is he selling toys? Uh, in 2014, he sold a limited run of like rocket they look like plushies, kind of, but not. Oh. They look soft, but they're not plushy. And he signs all of them. As, as Bartholomew as Bartholomew. Yep. Well, that signature's nigh worthless. It's not a real person. He also uses that signature for all of his music videos he's directed and all of his short films. Which include what? Uh, a lot of the 30 Second to Mars music videos and then some short films such as Up in the Air and the critically praised City of Angels. Okay, both named after 30 Seconds to Mars songs. If you really wanted to distance yourself from your work and not let it ride <laughs> on your success as Jared Leto, why would you work on Jared Leto projects and just like use it? Whatever. Okay, this is unreal. <laughs> also, fun fact, Bartholomew Cubbins is the name of a Dr. Seuss book, The 500 Hats of Bartholomew Cubbins. Oh, that actually makes me believe it a little more because Jared Leto just strikes me as the type of guy who would pick out something like that and then use it. You know what I mean? Be like, I like this Dr. Seuss thing. It's whimsical. I'm going to take it. I guess this is true. You going with true? I'm going to say fact again. Taking the bite on the Danish albino filmmaker named Bartholomew Cubbins who sells rocket toys? It is so bizarre. <laughs> it's another one that I feel like it can't not be true because I don't know how you'd even conceptualize making this up. You doubting my ability to spin? No, I'm not, but... Well, it's a fact. Your, your logic, why flawed, is it works out. Yay! <laughs> all right, all right. That is as sweet as a cotton candy grape. Definitely true, so good for you. Let's ride, th let's ride this rocket toy to the moon. Fact number three. Jared Leto's first acting role was in a Bubble Yum commercial. Oh, man, Bubble Yum is so good. Well, it's not, but it used to. It's nostalgic, right? That's what Bubble Yum has going for it. I don't know. I, I still remember the watermelon ones fondly. Okay, yeah, that's true. And they were very good for blowing bubbles. Well, I mean, with a name like Bubble Yum, you better. So what did he do in this acting role? Was he, I, I guess, a child? Yep. Did he blow a bubble? Yep. Did it pop? Uh, yep. <laughs> okay, well, hey, <laughs> Bubble Yum Marketing Department, if you're looking to hire writers, I think I got just what you're looking for. <laughs> The commercial also featured a couple other kids, a turtle, a boombox, and two giant speakers that blow up. Why do they blow up? Because of how crazy the person talks into the microphone. They like go boom and explode into a bunch of pieces. Very interesting. Does Jared have any lines in the commercial or is he just chomping away? Yeah. What does he say? He says, keep it popping. And there's a couple other lines I don't vaguely remember, but the, but the big one was keeps it popping. Very interesting. I like this fact. When did the commercial air? When did it come out? 1984. A good n amount of time before his 30 Seconds to Mars debut. True. I hate to burst your bubble, but I'm going to have to say this one's a spin. You think this one's a spin? Yeah, I'm not I'm not feeling this one. You're not feeling it? You're not feeling the Bubble Yum commercial? No, I'm not. I, I'm just not feeling it. That's all I got. Fair enough. That, and that'll be a spin from me. And it's a spin from the mixtaper. You got it right. <laughs> okay, good. I was worried. I was worried that that might be true, but I wasn't 100% sure. Coming to a Discord near you is the actual commercial, which features the, one of the first acting roles of Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, it says it right in the title. I was going to try and guess, but that's definitely him. Oh, look, there's a tortoise. Told you. Yeah, so Leo DiCaprio... Disaster follows him wherever his acting career goes, whether it's a sinking ship, a hungry bear, or a, a bubblegum exploding speaker. Mm-hmm. Who knew? All right, one more for you. He was once given an ear as a gift. An ear? He was given an ear as a gift? 
Yep. Like a human ear? Yep. Belonging to whom? No, don't say Jared Leto because it's it's his now, obviously. <laughs> Unknown. Unknown? He was given a... How long had this ear been detached from its person? Is this like a like a mummified ear? Couldn't have been too long because it, it looks fresh in the picture. What? Fresh enough. So you're telling me a picture of a random individual's ear that Jared Leto received is just on the internet that you found? That's what I'm saying. I don't know if I'm telling the truth or not, but... How did he receive it? Did FedEx just show up at his door with an ear? What happened? No idea. I assume probably came in the mail. No idea? Feels like the easiest way to get an ear to someone. Does it? I don't think it is. Does he know who sent it and why? No, he doesn't know who sent it. That's why it's unknown who it belongs to. Well, I mean, it could still be unknown if you know who sent it. Fair enough. But no, he has no idea... What did he do with it? Poked a hole through it and wore it on a string as a necklace. Absolutely not. What is this? <laughs> like, this is Machine Gun Kelly level absolute garbage. Why? What? Was the ear preserved at all? Like a human ear, just flesh and, and blood. Like it, it. Yeah. Does he still have it? Who's to say? I mean, clearly he. He kept it for a little bit. I know Jared Leto did a lot of weird stuff with the mail when he decided to be the Joker. And he started, like, method acting and sending people weird things in the mail. Was this around that time? Maybe someone reciprocated? This was in 2013, so no. (laughs) Maybe that's what inspired him to do it. Potentially. This is outrageous. But is it true? Yes. You think it's true? I don't think it's true. No, I don't think it's true, but I have to say fact, right? Okay, you lock it in fact? Yeah, I'm going to lock in fact on Jared Leto's ear necklace. All right. That's a true fact. Are you serious? I'm 100% serious. Now, as Mixtaper, who does his due diligence uh, with his fact sources there are a couple of sources that say it's a uh, stunt and not real but the number of sources that say it is real far outnumber it and there was no like evidence backing up the claims that it was a stunt so who's this i mean i'm not saying that they're it's not a stunt but it, it i hope it's a stunt, like a stunt <laughs> because we're here we're, we're talking about it i mean there's way more sources saying it's not than sources saying it is i, I don't know i hope it's a stunt let's put it that way well, that's a heck of a fourth fact. I guess that puts us at three and one somehow <laughs> this week. All the two bogus claims are just, I can't not say this answer. <laughs> I was so unsure about several of those. Feels a bit bogus. I know, I know. And it's a three out of four with the ability to recoup a point if I can convince Jared Leto to invest in grapes. It's true. You can have a perfect week if you try hard enough. <laughs> it's not a matter of trying hard enough. It's a matter of Jared Leto being agreeable and sensible with his money and investing in nature's greatest fruit. <laughs> grapes, not a sponsor. <laughs> grapes, not a sponsor. The Spin-Up Podcast, sponsored by Grapes. Not Grapes. <laughs> Have a great week, Mixtaper. I'll see you next time for another unpredictable round of fact or... I say unpredictable, but I predicted three out of the four. Unpredictable round of fact or spin. Yeah! Welcome back, Connor. Are you ready to talk about some of the more unique uh, cover art that we've seen so far? Uh, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I think we've only talked about one other album that does something kind of similar. America was released with 10 different album covers, and each one was for a different medium or store exclusive. So Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, CDs, for Target, for Walmart, whatever, all these, even cassette tapes, they all had different special stylized covers. And each of the covers is a different color, and it contains a really simple, like, minimalistic list of things like the most popular sports, celebrities, drugs, the most rich YouTubers. It's an interesting minimalist cover. But at the same time, maximalist because of how many of them there are. I guess. Well, the Spotify cover is pink, and it's it's the six American names. Jared Leto says that all these lists individually are meant to shock people on their own, but collectively, he thinks of them as a time capsule for life in America at the time the album came out. Interesting. Yeah, I know. We're a few years removed from 2018, and uh, I guess a lot of these things are still pretty relevant. So that's the album art. It's very interesting, I guess, meant to evoke or provoke you into 
something. <laughs> it's not really clear exactly what he's trying to stir up with these little snapshots of different American things. So in that way, I guess it's individualized. You know, your, your response can vary from person to person. Like how your response was to immediately hate it. I don't immediately hate it. I don't know why you're going. It's going to be a long episode if that's every other sentence you say. Strap in. <laughs> Wonderful. And let's talk about track number one. That's right. The first song and arguably 30 Seconds to Mars' biggest single from this album is Walk on Water. And the first Connor top three. I'm not surprised by that at all. Was it a top three when you listened to it the first time? Or did you have to go through the whole album first and be like, okay, I'm putting this one in the top three now that I've heard them all. So the way I usually do it is as I listen, anything that I think might make top three, I put top three question mark. And then I go back and remove the question mark. Right. And so this one got a question mark right away. And then, you know, it was solidified after I heard them all. It was like, yep. Gotcha. Jared Leto says that Walk on Water is a song for all of us. It's a song about freedom, about persistence, about change, and about fighting for what you believe in. It's a call to arms, but also full of all the optimism and hope that is such an integral part of the American dream. I liked the way it started. Yeah, it is starts very cool. So you ranted and raved about how much you hated this album before I listened to it. I so did, I really I expected. Absolutely <laughs> did not. I did no such thing. I try to tell you very little about what I think about the album before we go into them. <laughs> I'm just trying to push this narrative. Anyway, I didn't really know what to expect going into this album, and I liked the way it started. It had a lot of big hits. It's a big song so what you'll learn about 30 seconds to mars if you couldn't tell is that they're a big uh stadium rock band right a lot of the music mm-hmm. that they make or have made in the past plays really well in live shows i'm sure and i think a lot of that is what's not translated too well for me into this album we'll get into it but walk on water is kind of that vibe right a big stadium anthem mm-hmm. it starts with a big hum the hums are really cool they have some great lines in here do they I liked a lot of their lyrical choices. You gotta be kidding. Okay. Like what? (laughs) My personal favorite in the song would be the coupling of a thin line, the whole truth, the far right, the left view. I really like the far right, the left view. Why? What is that line? What's it mean? I mean, it's talking about like politics, right? The far left and the far right. Yeah, it absolutely is about politics. And that's uh, politics in America. What's it say? Let's just break down the whole thing if we really want to break it down. Yeah. I'm just, you, you've really got to break it down to get anything out of this one. No, we don't. We really don't. You're squeezing an, an already juiced orange. You're going to pull, you're going to pull another one of these where you overanalyze the lyrics and expect everyone to be, make some grand statement. No. That what you're going to do right now? No, but I'm just, he says, the very first line is, can you even see what you're fighting for? And you literally, he doesn't say anything about what you're fighting for. Do, t- can you see what you're fighting for? And then he immediately says bloodlust and a holy war. Sure, yeah, he doesn't ever tell you what the Holy War is. He just says, we're involved in it, and that's it. Like, there's no clarification. It's really just devoid of a lot of... I don't know. He says a lot of things that feel like they're meant to poke you in a direction, but it's not a direction that he wants to poke you in. It's the direction that you want to take whatever he says. Much like he said that a lot of his words on his album cover were meant to encapsulate America at the time, I think a lot of his lyrics are supposed to point out, or at least how he views America at that point in time in you know in 2018 america and so going back to the line i like times are changing a thin line the whole truth the far right the left view breaking all those promises made times are changing right he's talking about politics and politicians who walk that thin line of telling the truth not telling the truth and making all these promises that they know they can't keep and how he wants people to rise up and that or that he thinks people are rising up and that times are changing yeah but that really doesn't feel like a thing that's changing. That feels like a... Well, he was hoping, hopeful it was. Right? Sure. He's telling people, listen up, the page, uh, hear the Patriot shout, times are changing. He's thinking all the Patriots are about to rise up. Whether or not he ended up being right or not is besides the point. But he was hopeful that the Patriots were going to be rising up and making a change. Yeah, I guess I understand the hopeful optimism that he talks about here. But honestly, this song does not, like, electrify me, right? I, I guess he thinks it's some big... Do you believe that you can walk on water? Do you believe that you can win this fight tonight that's cool that's a good win you know it's a good line but, right, but, do you get what it's saying or are you gonna be like what's it saying no, i'm fine with it but he doesn't ever do you believe you can win this fight tonight jared leto what fight <laughs> right okay tell us give us something here in order to make change you have to fight against the people who are currently doing what they're doing that's the fight and i think the line do you believe that you can walk on water i don't know the way i interpreted it was like, that's what you'd be saying to the people who are in this position of power, right? Do you think you're Jesus? Do you think you're God, right? 
do you think you can win this fight against us, the people who are going to try to take back our country sort of thing? Oh. Is the vibe I got from it. Interesting. I've always got the vibe that it's like a challenge to the people who are about to rise up. Like, you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe in the miracle of walking on water. You have to take ownership of the fight and believe that you can win it. We kind of have opposite views on that. I mean, that's also a valid argument. I think that also could be the way it's going, that he's saying, do you believe in your ability to make the change that you want to see? I disagree with your intent that he's not saying anything in the song. It's a fine chorus, and I think it's one of the better songs on the album. I agree. What I'll say is that his voice, especially here... I like his voice. ...always just sounds a little too pulled by the pitch correction on this album. You hear it a little bit on these verses, but on other songs, I mean, it's way more apparent. I don't... I don't ha- Especially off of one listen, I have a hard time noticing that unless it's super, like, egregious. Like Machine Gun Kelly? Yeah. <laughs> Fair. And so I didn't really notice it off of one listen. I like his voice. His voice sounds pretty. Uh, Jared Leto's maybe one of the best vocalists that we've covered on the show. He's got such like a powerful vocal. And it's just it's just such an interesting style because on one level, it's a big arena anthem like Closer to the Edge or Kings and Queens. But it's got this really, really polished electronic finish on it. And I think maybe part of the reason this album was a, a bit more of a dud for me, it, like the expectation of listening to a 30 Seconds to Mars album was totally dashed to bits, right? It's not the same thing as any of their earlier stuff. Even Love, Less Faith, and Dreams, where they started moving in this direction, I mean, this album just takes it to another level. Yeah, I don't have any of that. I figured you wouldn't, I know. And so maybe it's not as bad for you because you don't have that comparison. I don't know. I don't judge it by its cover. All 10 of them. (laughs) Well, track number two, Dangerous Night. This was the first one that I was like, okay, what the heck is going on? Yeah. (laughs) This was one we had. It was all over the place. By the time we hit the end of the first chorus, we'd had like five style changes, both lyrically and musically. Yeah. I was like, what's going on? What I'll say is I do think I maybe like this one better than Walk on Water. You can get out of here with that opinion. I do. Well, but so you're right. It is very fluid in what it does, right? Because we have the big, the bass, right? We burned and we bled. We tried to forget. The memories left are still haunting. We have this verse that's all bass heavy and really like spaced out. And then the pre-chorus is different. It, it changes the whole thing. I'm a man on fire. You, a violent desire. And then the chorus we get to, the first chorus is just a little bit of a guitar, right? It just backs that dangerous night to fall in love. Like it just is is kind of minimal. Yeah. And then it really kind of blows open. So you think this song is all lyrically all over the place? I thought it was a lot more coherent. Uh, uh, rhythmically, lyrically, ri- like the lyrical rhythms. Were okay, fair. Place. It's a song about a couple who knows they're bad together, but they just can't stay apart, which is why we end up with these images like you being a violent desire and it's a dangerous night to fall in love because falling in love is just dangerous, right? That's just the way it is. I think this is a song that maybe would grow on me once I have a couple more listens and got used to it. It's just off of one listen, trying to keep up with all the style changes. It's The problem is it, it changes a lot at first, but then you stick to those couple sections for a long time. Yeah, it kind of cycles. once it, it, it doesn't continue to change. Yeah. But by then I was, you know, I was too thrown off. You're already off your rhythm. It's okay, though, because there's that kind of clock-ticking metronome during one part of the song later on. That was also a little iffy for me. It feels just too aggressive for what the rest of the song is. It's not really... Dangerous Night's not a long song, but it kind of feels draggy Mm -hmm. with just the excessive number of choruses they tack on because Mm -hmm. they just slap a couple of them together right at the end and the bridge does nothing to break them up it's just a couple of o's which by the way i know we can't give the repetitive award to an entire album but this album probably has more o's than any other record we've talked about as an as a whole as a whole yeah yeah a lot of them and i think again that's because on this record i feel like they're trying to write stadium anthems and that's where it lacks for me you know earlier they would just write music for the sake of having music and it would be a good song that happened to be a stadium anthem and they realized that was working and it feels to me like on this album they said let's write a bunch of stadium anthems and people will love them i mean is it wrong for them to have felt like they found their sound and try to stick to their sound no but it feels a little forced you know some of these o sections Mm. work better than others but some of them really feel a little shoehorned in just to get a crowd to sing along gotcha the next track. Rescue me. <laughs> wow, you, you read my mind. Yeah, the next track <laughs> is Rescue Me. It's another one that I like more than Walk on Water. Uh, this one gets honorable mention, I think, for me. 
Oh, okay, okay. I couldn't decide how I felt about this one compared to Walk on Water off of one listen. I think I need another listen to really solidify it, but... No, that's fair. This one was more repetitive than Walk on Water, and so that's why I ended up giving it the honorable mention. It is much more repetitive, and it's got a lot of good guitar parts, but that vocal melody mm-hmm. just doesn't do much. It's just hanging on to that one note till the end of his phrases. I like it. And it doesn't do a lot until the until chorus. Until you hit the chorus. Because the chorus is huge. It, yeah, it knocks you back. Yeah, and I do, I love the shift into the first just massive chorus. Also, the chorus feels a little watered down. I I think it's a little weaker lyrically. I don't think it's any weaker than the rest of the song. I mean, our first two lines are, whatever you do, don't ever play my game too many years being the king of pain. That's pretty, that's pretty weak. I know, it is. The best line in the song, and another one that I had as a highlight of cool lines in the album was the sell yourself to save your soul. Again, they have a really clever way of taking these common like phrases or ideas that like or like terms people are used to hearing and kind of playing with them in their songs. Yeah, and that's been a staple of their sound and style mm-hmm. even before this. That's a, a long-standing 30 Seconds to Mars trademark. Well, I like that trademark. Yeah, I would recommend you go listen to some earlier 30 Seconds to Mars. There's a chance I know some of those more. Mm-hmm. But the chorus basically, yeah, just says, rescue me from the demons in my mind, rescue me from the lovers in my life. Like, that's it. And uh, I think it's okay as a chorus that you're going to scream into the abyss, right? Like he does. Like I did. If you're going to do a huge chorus like that, maybe it's better that it says little. Yeah. And if you like that line, sell yourself to save your soul, that's literally the bridge. Yep. You just get it a bunch of times in a row. I think it's like it's like they know that's the best line, and so they just try and kind of market it to you. I do wish in the chorus they changed the third line. I'm completely fine with the chorus if the third line was different. The fact that they just repeat the first line in the third line. Yeah. But like they weren't trying. Like if they just changed that, I would have been perfectly fine with the rest of it. Right. Because the whole point of the song is rescue me. And yeah, we can rescue you from demons. We can rescue you from lovers. And then you just go rescue me from demons again. <laughs> A lot of demons. A lot of demons. <laughs> A lot of demons around. Rescue me, rescue me, rescue me, rescue me. The rescue me, rescue me, rescue me, I was fine with. It That's was... fine because it changes. Yeah. Because it goes faster and it varies the melody a lot more. But I do, the other thing is, I mean, it goes faster, but I think at the very, very end, he scoops a little too much on those rescue me's, right? He rescue, like he pulls up into it a little more. And I was like, okay, all right, settle down. Stop your scooping. Stop your scooping. Boy, do they ever stop scooping on track four, One Track Mind, featuring ASAP Rocky. I honestly, to this point, I think the album's been on a good trajectory. It hasn't been all that bad, right? It's been different. It's not bad, but we hit one track mind. But then we hit this one. (laughs) And from one track mind onward, I can think of like two or three tracks that I think are on the same level as the first four or the first three even. I'd almost agree with that, I think. Yeah, I think One Track Mind is kind of the point of no return for this album. Mm, I don't know if i go that far. Well. I really like the verse structure of this song, but the chorus just sucked. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. The verse structure was great, but man, was that chorus. Ugh. Yeah, it's um, it's really something. And this one stylistically is so different than the other ones, too. There's this really ambient glockenspiel sound that just doesn't get it done for me. And if you really enjoyed Jared Leto's doctored vocals, you're in for a real treat <laughs> on one track mind. <laughs> it, the whole thing is so it's like just being in this digital soundscape. Almost. You know, it feels almost not like a song, like you're just existing in this weird digital liminal space. I don't know. The whole song feels very low-key, very understated. The breakdown after this chorus, the chorus, again, I have a one-track mind, there's a method to the madness, gotta have a one-track mind, is is pretty rough. But then the breakdown is so huge. It tries to be bigger with the big, I guess, electronic style, but then they snuff it right back out when they reintroduce the vocals on the next verse. They just they just strangle it until he just randomly yells <laughs> there isn't any other way. That's it's like out of left field a little bit. Yes, this is a song I'll allow you to trash the lyrics and vocals on because it deserves it, unlike Walk on Water. Sure. Fair. A fun fact about this song, it's the second time the band has worked with a rapper. Yes. The first being our boy Kanye West. Worked with Kanye West on Hurricane 2.0. Yeah. Um ASAP Rocky feels a little shoved in here. Kinda out of place. His verse is just a little flimsy. They went to the guest star pool, and he was the only one left in there. Everybody else had been scooped up already. Was he? (laughs) Everybody else was gone, and ASAP Rocky was who they had left? No. ASAP Rocky's lyrics, man. How come when you stop a problem, everybody's problems become your problem? Let them cry about it. It ain't my problem. 
problem, 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 problem. <laughs> and then he says, heard it's only 30 seconds to Mars, and it took you even less just to get to my heart. Did we talk about how they got their name? We didn't, actually. Whoops. Do we feel like Whoops. doing that right now? <laughs> yeah, we'll do it right now. We'll just cut it. We'll just cut it in right here. 30 seconds to Mars, if I remember correctly, their name is taken from a hypothesis or a thesis that one of Jared Leto's college professors came up with about travel to Mars. Uh, yes. And more specifically, less so about the actual travel to Mars and more so about the exponential rate of human scientific discovery. Right. And how at the rate at which, you know, science has kind of big banged its way in the last couple of decades, we're practically 30 seconds from being able to travel to Mars in the grand scheme of human history and how fast scientific discovery has exploded in the last couple decades. Right. It kind of fits into that analogy of if you put all of history on a clock yeah. and whatever, humans would be the last little sliver of it. It's kind of like that. So that's where their name comes from, if you weren't sure. And it took even less than that to get to ASAP Rocky's heart. Not rocket science. Yeah. <laughs> This, this song, an analogy that I came up with as I was listening to this, is that this song feels like a can of pop that you just left out a little too long. Like, you could tell that it's almost good, but it's kind of warm and flat. There are a few bubbly sips that are there, but they're just not good, right? That's, that's what One Track Mine is to me. Like the Italian cream soda I made this morning. When I took a little drink, it felt a little flat, and I was like, oh, that's sad. Yeah, it's like this. This song is just a little sad. You know what song is not a little sad? <laughs> the, the song that's not a little sad is Monolith, the album's only instrumental track. I liked it. for. I would say I liked 90% of it, but the 10% I didn't really ruined it for me. <laughs> really? Which 10% did you not like? That's a The scraping violin sound. That sucked. Oh, yeah. Rather than actually playing it, they're like scraping the strings. Yeah. Yeah, I did not care for that at all, and it went on for way too long. Well, I mean, the whole song is pretty short. And it's decent enough. It, I think it's kind of the perfect bridge that pulls us out of the slog of mm -hmm. one track mind. And well, I just I liked how big and powerful it was with all the instrumentals, and then you just got <laughs> happening way too much in the foreground, and I was like, stop. It's a little rough to listen to, but it does set you up for the themes of the next song, which you know is love is madness. Featuring Halsey. That's right. Halsey's back. When are we going to finally do one of their albums? This is the second time you've teased me with them. Oh, man. And it's the second time I've really liked it. This is the next Connor Top 3. I know. I know. I know. I really want to do Halsey. Put it on the list. You set the schedule. I really <laughs> want to do Halsey. I flipping love. If I can't have love, I want power. I'm waiting for the right time. Anyway, I do like Love is Madness. If you're curious about the other time we talked about Halsey, they're previously featured on episode nine, Machine Gun Kelly, in the song Forget Me Too. Also, the other weird body-related factor spin. There have been a couple of weird body-related factor spins, but yeah, one of them was the blood necklaces and stuff. I like this song. I do too. They just have such a great voice. I know. They they lose me a little bit on the weird little whoa part where everything cuts out except for that big brassy abrasive blah, right? That's the only part that really pulls me out of it. I kind of liked it. I think they did it a couple too many times, but I liked it. I, I like it enough. My biggest problem is that I don't know if I'd like this song without Halsey. Um, there's that one part. There's a couple parts. Well, I wouldn't have liked the Machine Gun Kelly one without Halsey, so... I think Halsey's what makes these songs. That's why I'm saying we need to do a Halsey album. You're right. <laughs> You're right. I know. I agree. There's a couple moments where Jared Leto really steps on their toes and, mm -hmm. and like, overpowers their vocals, and that's a shame. And I'll agree with you, though. The rhythms get a bit weird, too, like you said, with the cutouts and stuff like that. Like, I want to say that, like, there's some great, unique rhythms and beats in this album that I think would be great, but it's almost like the execution of them is off. It's like, as a concept, they're good, but the choices of when they choose to use them and how frequently they choose to use them is wrong. <laughs> but this is not one of those times. I like it. I did like the cutouts with the big... <laughs> yeah. The potential for everything. All the pieces are here. They're just assembled in a weird way sometimes. I'm not counting this one. I said, I like this one. No, this song's good. And I know this is one of your top threes. This is, this is just a good song. It's a great song. Love is Madness uh, is a great way to come out of one track mind. You know, One Track Mind should mm -hmm. concern you a little bit. Love is Madness should maybe be a little bit of reassurance. The next song is called Great Wide Open. And it's 
the final Connor top three. Hey, you got to give this song credit. You know, it is the most wide open of all these songs. Like, it does capture that sound well. What's interesting is Jared Leto wrote this song somewhere around 2015, which you would think would make it one of the first tracks created for the album. But it's not? That's not the case, no. He said a lot of the other songs were older work. Some of them were even five years older or more. Hmm. I know. I guess that makes sense, though, why he thinks that, like, he's quoted as saying that he thinks this album is that this is the cornerstone of the album. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so this kind of sums up a lot of his thoughts. It sounds like a cornerstone of the album. I mean, the big hit set me free. It's a great big hit. I like it. Yeah. And then we got we got some Wo-O-O's on here. God, I love a good Wo-O song. Yes. And uh, what I'll say is, too, this is a song that does not, in, in my opinion, does not overdo the electronic production. I agree. I think this song, well, I think this song's about perfect as far as the production goes. It's it's maybe the best on the album or close to it. This song would feel right at home on the Love, Lust, Faith, and Dreams record, which maybe is why I like it so much. And I really like his falsetto. You know, usually mm-hmm. he just powers right through high notes, which is awesome, by the way, that he can yell out with such intensity and like such range in his full voice. But this is one of the only times I've ever heard him really get into the falsetto. And it's so nice that he shows the softer side of it here because... And he does it well. Yeah. It, you know, some people can't pull off false, falsetto. No, that's true setto. <laughs> I like this song lyrically too. It's not... The highlight lyric on this one was, I swear to God, I'm the devil. Yeah. You get a nice little play with the terms God and devil there. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I, I just really like the chorus. Into the great wide open across a land of blood and dreams. Another good line. I will save your heart from breaking. Won't you stop? Set me free. Set me free. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. This is another song again that they just built for a stadium with a lot of woes. Mm-hmm. It feels a lot like a like a spiritual sequel to their song Kings and Queens to me, which means nothing to you. But it does. Oh, it does? <laughs> no, I mean it I was oh, agreeing it does with mean you. It nothing. means nothing. It does right, mean okay. nothing. Maybe you'll learn someday. And then we kind of fall off of this big high cornerstone song of the album into Hail to the Victor. This is the one I think I've heard. Really? Yeah. That one surprises me a little bit. And my my best guess is that I've heard it at some sort of sporting event. Maybe that's possible because this feels like a feels like a kind of song that like a team would play as a warm up song. Yes, it, this song in particular just doesn't have the same feel to it when you stream it to your phone. It's weird that you've heard the song before, but it definitely feels like a sporting event type song. Very often when I'm listening, he's only one time and I'm like, this sounds eerily familiar. Like it's, it's tickling a memory, but by the time the song ends, I haven't quite got it yet. I can't go back. Yeah. Hail to the Victor was produced by the EDM duo Yellow Claw, which is a big part of why it is, I guess the way that it is. The precursor to White Claw. Don't drink the Yellow Claw. (laughs) (laughs) This is different. You know, this song is another one that relies on instrumental breakdowns instead of vocal explosions, right? Into the Great Wide Open, Love is Madness, Rescue Me. They're ones that rely a lot on vocals. Hail to the Victor relies a lot on the instruments ramping up after their choruses. This is a song that I think I would like more if I saw them perform it live. Yeah. It's a shame. The next song is Dawn Will Rise. Um, What is the language at the beginning of this one? It's in French. What does it mean? So the first part of the song is a pair of lines that translates to everything must change with time. I must change or die. Pretty dark. And I mean, pretty thematically reminiscent of a lot of these other songs, right? Set me free, rescue me, bloodlust in a holy war. Thematically, that line fits right in. And the song starts out with that and then the simple piano, which I think does a really great job at drawing you in. And I really kind of like this almost industrial vibe that we build into with the drums and such. Yeah, this was just, this was a mess song for me. Yeah. I don't have a lot to say about it. This was the first song that I really started to dread having to score this album because the songs that are like in my top three in Carnival Mention, I really, really like. Yeah. But everything else has been pretty men. It's like, what, how, I don't want the ones I really, really like to suffer, but they kind of have to. <laughs> yep. And so it's like, I, uh, it's a weird one to score. Yeah, see, so you, see, you run into the problem that I ran into with this album, where it's got its good moments. I think a little less so. A little, yeah, it's got its moments where you really can see through the album, and you get a glimpse at 30 Seconds to Mars, their style and what they do, and then there's a lot of moments that that's just covered up. <laughs> you know, it's, it's almost something else entirely. 
this song is meh for me too. There's not a lot of vocal melody on it. It's another one that just lingers on one note, and it's another one where he's just so heavily auto-tuned. I do like, though, that the title of the song is Dawn Will Rise, and it feels like it's a dark song. If you're waiting on Dawn to rise, that means you're in the dark, and the Dawn's coming. You know, change or die is the main idea in the song. What did you think about Remedy? Remedy is interesting, isn't it? It's uh, it's the only song on the album that Jared doesn't take the lead vocal on. It's Shannon, and instead of all the electronics and stuff, this one's mostly just an acoustic guitar. This is when Jared's offstage getting a water break. <laughs> yeah, maybe this is the song that's meant for him to take a break. Again, see, the whole album's just built for a live show, and uh, it doesn't land as an album, a recorded album. It was a joke. Don't you dare use my joke to further your blasphemy. I'm just saying... It feels like the whole thing was very constructed to tour. This song is one that, man, I feel like trying to pry meaning from some parts of this album is like trying to pull teeth at best and making things up to fill in all the gaps at worst. Like, he sings on this first verse, Hey man, where'd you go today? Did you find some place to stay far, far, far away? There you go again, on your own again, breaking hearts again. Like, what a lame first verse it's like they bank on the stylistic change of this song and the new vocalist being so shockingly different that we ignore how absolutely hollow all those lyrics are you gotta save the you gotta save the solid lyrics for jared that's right jared leto's the only one that's allowed to sing substance in this band (laughs) all right okay do you hear what i gotta say no shannon what do you have to say (laughs) we're hearing it but we're not understanding it (laughs) say something i'm begging you more demons by the way in this song verse two hey man everywhere you roam your demons gotta go but at least you're not alone a lot of a lot of demons do you think do you think that he has weed demons like machine and kelly had weed ghosts i doubt it but if he does you know at least he can talk about it scream about it laugh about it with anyone live laugh demon that doesn't even make sense. At least my jokes are like half funny. Uh, I just say things. I throw things at a wall and hope something eventually sticks. That one didn't stick. I don't mean to crap all over that song too much. I, I do like the style change, but it's just... Sorry, Shannon, we didn't mean to crap all over your song. It's just not a good song. I mean, you, you sing it well. It's just a bad song. We don't mean to crap all over it, but let me crap all over it a little more. <laughs> it's okay. If there are any 30 Seconds to Mars like diehard fans listening to this episode, I really, I promise I like the band and I love a lot of their other music. He hates I it. I love a lot of their other music. I do. He was just telling me before the recording about how this is their, his least favorite band of all time. That's not true. Oh, goodness. Not even my least favorite album of all time, this. The next track's called Live Like a Dream. Live Like a Dream. A lot of varying sounds on this album, specifically this song. I No kidding. I know. I gotta be honest. Right from the get-go, the title Live Like a Dream really kind of reminds me of Row, Row, Row Your Boat. Why? Life is but a dream. Oh, okay. It just felt like it was kind of calling that to mind the whole time for me, personally. Row, row, row your boat gently to the Mars. Yep. 30 seconds later. You made it to Mars. (laughs) You made it to Mars. (laughs) Anyway. I really like the airiness of Live Like a Dream. It's kind of what makes the song for me, but it's only there on the first verse because they wipe it out with this huge post-chorus and it never really comes back. Yeah, I am not a fan of the chorus or the post-chorus. Yeah, Live Like a Dream, Broken But Free, Live Like a Dream, Everybody Everybody Sing. sing. (laughs) And then Everybody Sings. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, (laughs) right, exactly. This is an example of too much of a good thing. Too many oos. Yes, yes, too many of the uh, famous Owos. I do think also, I mean, aside from everything that chorus lacks, the verses feel a little bit like a jumbled lyrical mess. All of a sudden, it was midnight, wild and haunting, and we were running till the sunrise all we wanted. The last night we'll ever do this. The last night. Time to go. I feel like that that lyric feels like an inside joke for Jared Leto. That feels like a thing that he understands and the rest of us kind of don't have. Last song on the album. We're there. It is time. The last track is Ryder. This is the point, you know, Shannon came out on stage and sang so Jared Lurka could drink something and he chose to drink a bunch of alcohol and started slurring his words by the time he got to this song. Well, I mean, whatever. Yeah, I guess. Every other word in the opening, like, intro and verse, he, like, is slurring the start of the words. It's weird. It is weird. It is. I did not like it. We, I don't particularly love it either. You know, we've had some songs that do a great job with a few lyrics in the past. 
But these last couple have just had few lyrics, and they've also just been duds. Except for very specific outliers that I've pointed out along the way. Uh, yes, very specific. But like this one, there's a rider on the storm, a silence when I go away, a violence when I told you. I like that in a rhyme. But uh, when I told you, Lord, you'll miss me, you will miss me. Like, uh, eh. Um, their problem is, right, they can come up with these really clever turns of phrases and, like, play with them, and they're, they're, they have these nice lyrics spread throughout, and then they'll just choose to say the same thing three times in a row. Yes, that's a big part of it. It's like, you've shown you have the ability to be clever with your lyrics, and then you just choose not to. Right, yeah, and it's like the same thing where they took that one good lyric that we pointed out in the song and made it the bridge six times. <laughs> they just really try and ride that all the way into the sunset, and it doesn't work. You gotta do a little more. Well, it sometimes works. Sometimes it works. Okay, you're right, but doesn't work here. No, it does not, because it's not that good of a line. It also it feels like a little bit like Anna Kendrick's cup song. <laughs> when I'm gone, when I'm gone, you will miss me, you will miss me when I'm gone. <laughs> it's the chorus. Like, this is a little bit of a lyrical parallel, I think. I would love to see 30 Seconds to Mars bring out a bunch of cups and do this song using cups during a live performance. <laughs> I would pay to go sit through an entire 30 Seconds to Mars concert. If it was all cups? Uh, even if it just this is one song, it'd be worth it. Fair. I think Ryder, as much as the lyrical part is kind of lame, I think the song is very satisfactorily cinematic. Right? We have this massive swell at the end. Oh, the instrumental outro is great. I love it. I know. It's this big melting pot of all the tension and all the pressure that this album's tried to pour into. You know, it's all the mm-hmm. all the electronically polished angst that it tries to evoke. It just kind of explodes into this big final moment and then cuts. And then they kill it. Yeah, it just cuts into dead silence. And it ruins it. No! And it ruins no. it. No, it ruins it. I, I like... I love that dead stop. It's the best part of the song and one of the highlights of the album. I don't mean that in an ironic way. The dead stop just ruins it. They built it up to a big old... They didn't even quite make it to the peak, in my opinion. And then they just cut it. Yeah, it's a cool creative decision. It's one of those things that, again, the creative decision and the, the principle is sound... But the execution was off for me. I kind of like it, especially following that sentiment of you'll miss me when I'm gone. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, it's just gone. It gives you that feeling. Right, sure. I agree. The concept is great. It was just not quite executed properly. It was like, you know, when they're doing the cutouts earlier in the album we were talking about and they'd cut out and then hit you with a big sound like they did it properly there. It was like here you didn't quite make it to the peak. Like if you're going to cut out, you got to at least hit the peak. You can sweep the leg out on what would normally be the fall and just get rid of it, but you got to at least build to something before you cut out. To me, they didn't quite make it to what they were building to before they cut out. That's fair. Yeah, I don't think it does make it all the way to the apex of what it could have been. I think you got to at least take it there, especially for the end of an album. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, the fact that they didn't take it to 100% is kind of emblematic of what the whole album was for me. <laughs> so I actually had the exact, well, not necessarily like that, but I had a very similar note that i said it the abrupt ending killed it but i guess that was still kind of fitting because this album has been all over the place much like this song was all over the place yeah (laughs) it started out rough then it got a little better then it got really good and then they just butchered it with the ending so i was like i guess that's kind of what the album did you know it started out and (laughs) it's like a weird roller coaster of likes and dislikes yeah it is it's a mixed bag for sure i mean whatever you like or dislike this album has kind of got a good amount of all of it so you know, maybe that's why it was so polarizing. But that brings us to Final Spin. And yeah, we are in Final Spin territory. What are your thoughts? The real trick here is which of these songs do you want to add to the playlist? I think it's a tough decision. I think Walk on Water has to be on it. You seem to really like Walk on Water, and that's definitely the most famous one from the album by far. I know. I think I know what my personal vote is for. We'll see what yours is. I know. It's a tough call. If it were me, I think I would give it to Rescue Me. So Rescue Me is... One of my choices, I really kind of want to give it to Love is Madness, just for Halsey. <laughs> I, yeah, but the, looking again, I don't think I'd like Love is Madness if Halsey wasn't on it, I, just as a song. I agree, but I did, we picked the Halsey track off of Machine Gun Kelly to put on there, too. I just really want Halsey to be on there twice without having done an episode. <laughs> You're going to love their album. I mean, I'm so excited. Oh, I, I'm hopeful. Okay, I mean, I could get behind Love is Madness. Uh, Rescue Me is objectively the better song. 
I mean, it's not, I don't know. I have Rescue Me as honorable mention and Love is Madness in top three, but I think Rescue Me is probably the more popular song. I won't object to using it, but if I could have my cake and eat it too, it would be Walk on Water and Love is Madness. Okay. Well, you can have your cake. You may not eat it. (laughs) We'll do the other way. Can I eat it and not have it? Yeah. I mean, that comes with the territory of eating it. It's true. Unless it's one of those regenerative cakes. One of those? What what do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) One of those? This is why Final Spin always takes so long to record. Because of stuff like that. Yeah, you're right. Anyway, tell me your scores. So I guess what it boils down to for me is this collection of songs just doesn't excite me. You hate it. As 12 songs. It's a whole dozen here. I think there are about five or six that I like. The rest of the album feels a little bit like fluff. It's just extra. I've always been more of a singles listener for 30 Seconds to Mars, but I do love all their old hits, you know? Even a lot of the stuff on Love, Lust, Faith, and Dreams I thought was pretty good. This bunch here kind of just feels a little bit like a half-baked effort at stirring up emotions that I really just don't care to have stirred up it doesn't make a lot of sense to me collectively what this album is trying to say you know it's like it wants to work towards a common theme and it's very close to getting there it is it's just not you know it can't make it over the hump they cut it off right before the the apex like we said on writer it doesn't get there so this album just leaves me feeling kind of sad about what it could have been you know the, the band's kind of abandoned a lot of elements of their classic sound and style and uh i kind of miss them So what I would say is don't let this album solidify your opinion of 30 Seconds to Mars, right? Go listen to Closer to the Edge or The Kill or Attack or Kings and Queens before you make your decisions about this band. Because I'll admit, this album is admittedly like a a rough first exposure to them. And honestly, I think they might deserve a redemption episode sometime down the road, but that's neither here nor there. Let's talk scores. Music is good in some places, a la Dangerous Night, Rescue Me, Love is Madness. You know, there's a couple spots where the music really shines. Walk on Water, even. Great music. Other songs don't do a lot. Dawn Will Rise, Rider, One Track Mind, really rough on the music. And it doesn't average well. It doesn't play well. The mix is not (laughs) in favor enough of the good music. For me, music gets a 53. Is that the lowest music, music score you've ever given? Not ever. But so far, yes, it is. And again, the good songs are good. It's just that they're so bogged down by the bad. For me, personally. You know, again, disclaimer, it's all subjective and you're allowed to like it. I really don't care. That's good. If you like it, like it. Lyrically, this is rough. I think you'll agree with me when I say this album is lyrically much rougher than Miley Cyrus's Plastic Hearts, which I had plenty of things to say about lyrically. You're not going to trick me into agreeing with your Miley Cyrus hate. I don't hate Miley Cyrus. You heard it here, everybody. He hates Miley Cyrus. He hates 30 Seconds to Mars. And I don't hate this. That's literally completely untrue. But this album just doesn't have many lyrical chops. I mean, we've been critical of so many of these lyrics. And uh, the spots where they're good, they're like lukewarm okay at best. And the lyrics aren't what makes this album for me. I'm giving them a 48. Instruments and production is a different story. I think there are spots where the instruments and production really succeed, like on Great Wide Open, making it feel wide open like they do. A lot of the stuff on Dangerous Night is cool when they pull back to just the guitar. Rescue Me has some really big hits. Uh, Jared Leto's autotune voice is often a miss for me. Some of these songs just feel boring or overproduced, a little too flat. See one track mind. I'm given instruments and production a 78, which is maybe a little surprisingly high, but this is one area where I think the album is its strongest. So if you want like a silver lining for America, the album, probably look towards the instruments and production. Uh, the overall vibe, it's such a tough one to score because this album's vibe is all over the place. Uh, sonically, I guess the style is, is decently consistent, even though uh, its quality sometimes rises and falls. The 10 album covers thing is kind of a cool concept. I gotta give them credit. I like the concept. I think the execution maybe lacks a little. It's kind of a boring album cover, I'll be honest. Like, to read all these lists and stuff, I guess it makes you think, but it doesn't particularly make me want to pick up this album and listen to it. But anyway, the overall vibe, I'm just giving a 66. Uh, It's like, uh, it's not there. It's not great. Which puts the overall score, after doing all the math, at a 57.6. I know, I know. Not the most generous score I've ever given, and, you know, 
maybe I was a little hard on it because of my just missed expectations. But that's where it lands for me. That's a pretty low score. It is. Where does that put it? That puts it at number 502 at the moment. Oof, out of? Somewhere in the 500 teens. So almost dead last because you hate it that much. Well, no. You have to figure in a lot of uh, a lot of bias because a lot of the albums that I have listened to are things that I know I would like, right? So it's sometimes harder to pick up an album that I know I'm not going to like or that I'm not expecting to like or that blindsides me as something that I don't like. So the list is heavily skewed towards things that I do like more. So I, I wouldn't put as much stock in its numerical ranking, just in its score of 57.6. But that's me. How about you? I'm curious to see where you're going to put this one because you did mention that you were having difficulty scoring and, and kind of balancing the highs versus the lows. Yeah, uh, I, I like my top four a lot, a lot, a lot. I like a couple of the others, a mediated amount, and then the rest of it I just do not like. Yeah, mine's about the same way but without the middle part. You know, the highs are high and the lows are low and there's not much in the middle. Yeah, and so for scoring this and then like re-listenability, I don't know, like, Again, part of my problem is we're getting so far removed from some of those earlier episodes, getting harder and harder to remember my opinions on them at the time. Sure. And why I have them where I have them. Yeah, we're more than a half year out from some of them. Yeah. I think re-listenability wise, it deserves a higher score than what I'm about to give it. That's, I guess, my note I'm going to say. I think the songs I really like, I'm going to listen to a lot more than some of the songs I liked on the ones that rank higher. Yeah, but you're never going to hear one track mind again. (laughs) Right. Except for my obligatory second listen. It's a, it's an all or nothing. So this one's getting... It's going to get a four cotton candy flavor grapes out of ten for me. Wow. We did it. I broke your floor. I wondered if I would. I do want to put in the asterisk, you know, fine print clause that I still stand by. My beautiful dark twisted fantasy would be way lower than a five. If we were to do it now, now that I have my score more defined, you know, sure. I, he got he squeaked in at episode number three and got a higher score than he deserved. Sure, that's fair. And so that's the one caveat is my beautiful, dark, twisted fantasy is still my least favorite one we've done, even though it's not going to look that way on the on the list. Sure. I was honestly so you you've been saying forever. Give me one that I despise. Give me a bad one. Give me a bad one. And I don't want to give you like garbage. I want to make a good podcast, which I think this album is clearly good for. We should definitely do a garbage one at some point. But I did really want to test your limits and try and get below your your threshold so far of a five. It's just one of those things. Like I said, my top three in Carnival Mention, I really, really, really like. But I can't just judge them off of that. I have to judge them over the cohesiveness of the album. And like we even said on most of the other tracks that weren't Carnival Mentions, or top three they were just all meh they were all meh or some of them were straight up garbage yeah this just ain't it 30 seconds to mars i'm sorry so unfortunately those four songs weren't enough well four songs is only a quarter of the album right that's not a lot to support the weight of an entire lp i fluctuated anywhere from a seven to a four when trying to make this score by the way a seven's a bit high a seven is above rascal flats and aerosmith i was gonna put uh, part of me wanted to put it above tickets to my downfall um i don't think i'd ever do that but i i guess i understand it was quickly squashed but i did have the thought i'll give you the the four tracks on this one that are the highs are higher than most of tickets to my downfall exactly and that's again i until i could really settle down and because i ended up uh peek behind the curtain we didn't record this on the day we wanted to so i had a couple extra days to really mull it over but not listen again just mull <laughs> and so i was able to step back and more objectively calm down from the highs of the album to score it i think a little more objectively yeah my last note before i hand over my time is my top three incomparable mention in album order important this is the most important top three incomparable mention he's ever given because if you listen to nothing else on this album you're probably better off yeah stick to these four (laughs) stick to these four walk on water comparable mention to rescue me love is madness and great wide open caveat dangerous night's also pretty good but other than that, I 100% agree with you. But that brings us to the end of another episode. Another episode, indeed. If you like this episode, and you, if you didn't like this episode and want to find a better one, Dua you should follow us on our socials, at SpinItPod on Twitter, at SpinItPodOfficial on Instagram, and you should check us out on the web at www.spinitpod.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, thanks for being here through 
33 episodes. We're a third of the way to our centennial. That's crazy. That's incredible to me. We'll see you next week where we move into our second... Centennial. Uh, I guess third of the centennial <laughs> as a podcast. Our second tennial. <laughs> yeah. No, because that sounds almost like 200, and that's not true. Could be. Will be someday. Yeah, in about, you know, 166 episodes. Until then, have a great week, and as always, keep spinning. Keep spinning. Do you believe that you can keep spinning on water? Do you believe that you can spin on water? Do you believe that you can spin this fight tonight? I'm going to stop. <laughs>